Thanks, God, for that reading, and thank you, church, for responding. As we open the Word today, as Scott said, we are uh, Paul is completing his third missionary journey, and uh, he is uh, setting his sights on his final destination, which is Jerusalem. And uh, I, I'm just very excited to share this message today because we've been seeing a transformation in the life of our body. We've seen people who are now sharing their faith coming up to me. Someone yet again today share with me how last week's message touched them and it's caused them to reach out and to minister to a young person in a very unique way. And it's just exciting to see the body of Christ being more than just people who attend a church service, but actually being disciples and sharing their faith with others, risking their lives in a sense, not the fact that you would physically die, but you're risking maybe your friendships, maybe you're risking a, uh, a title, uh, a job, as you share Christ with others. And so it's just very exciting. And as we continue in Acts, we find that we will be challenged by Paul today because of his great courage and conviction. And so uh, I want us to begin with prayer. Father, we want to thank you that as we open your word, your word always speaks to us subjectively. Yes, corporately. Yes, we all glean together as a body from the word of God. But Lord, you're more than just a, a corporate God. You are an individual God. You save individual souls. And today, Lord, may the spirit of the living God continue to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ individually. Amen. Amen. Now, Paul is traveling to Jerusalem for two reasons. The first reason is that, obviously, uh, he has been among the churches that are Gentile uh, in the area of Asia Minor and also into Eastern Europe. And so Paul has really established the church among Gentile believers. Now, Paul is going back to Jerusalem where the church found its early beginning. The origin was right in Jerusalem among the Jews. So Paul, the first part of Paul's reason for going to Jerusalem is to somehow unite Gentile believers to Jewish believers. Remember now, they didn't like each other. A Jew would call a Gentile a dog. And so for Christ to do such a work in the heart of a person as to save them, and then have them look at those who they used to think were dogs and see them as brother or sister in Christ was a great work of salvation. And that's what happened. And so Paul is going to report that. He's coming back to Jerusalem to let them know. Well, how, how will they know that the Gentile churches are their brothers and sisters in Christ? He's bringing, along with other men from the churches that he established, he's bringing offerings to the poor Jews in Jerusalem who had gotten saved, never returned to their home country. They had come uh, for, for uh, uh, Passover meal, and now they're at Pentecost, and they're going to stay because they can't go home. If they go home, they'll be rejected by their family, by their community. So now they're stuck in Jerusalem, and the people, the Jews who were saved in Jerusalem, took them into their homes. And, and, and there's just not enough money to support these new people that have come in. 
And so Paul's bringing from the Gentile church to the Jewish believers resource to help them in their time of need. So the first reason for coming is to unite the church. The second reason is to deliver the money that uh, he was excited to give to the Jews and help them in their need. Now, to achieve Paul's goal, he's going to need, and you might want to write this, this phrase down because we're going to refer to it, he's going to need courage of conviction. Courage of conviction. This is what we see in our text from the Apostle Paul. He's going to show us between verses 1 and 16 four aspects of the courage of conviction that propels him forward to his final destination. Believe me, Paul is facing adversity left and right. We know that because we've studied all three missionary journeys. And this journey, the third one, is no different than the first and second. He's facing persecution. He's facing, uh, he's having to constantly defend himself and the gospel against false teachers and Jewish leaders and Gentile leaders who were coming against him. And so before he leaves Miletus, that's where we left it in chapter 20. Remember, he, the ship had pulled in, and he was going to be there for a short time. So he called the Ephesian elders. He asked for them to come and join with him, and they had a tremendous time together, their final time together, because Paul did not believe he would ever return. And they had a wonderful, wonderful time and now he gets back on the ship in Miletus, and he is now uh, on his journey. Verse 1 says, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem. And listen to what he says, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. This is verse 22 in chapter 20. This is what he spoke to the elders but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul just gave you the whole purpose for his life. He just gave you a reason to live. This was the cause of Paul's conviction. He said, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus. And what is that? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Basically, if I were to translate what Paul was saying to the Ephesians and Miletus, he's saying, I'll die to get this money to Jerusalem. I'll do whatever it takes. I'm going to finish this journey. I'm going to be faithful to God to the very end. He had unwavering courage because of his deep conviction. Have you ever been challenged in life to be courageous? Have you ever challenged someone else to be courageous? Uh, we, when we're challenged like that, sometimes we'll say, well, uh, we'll say, take courage. You know, we, we, we come at them kind of strong. But unless you have conviction behind the courage, you really don't have courage. There's got to be something, a cause, a purpose, a goal, and something that is causing you to stand with courage. And that's what I want to address with you today from the life of Paul and others in the Bible. This is, he's not the only example of this, but wherever you see great courage in the Scripture among God's people, you'll also see a great cause. 
And, and I wonder about you. Do you have a great cause? Because without it, you won't have courage. You won't share your faith. You won't uh, get involved in the lives of other people. You won't be part of the body of Christ without courage. Some people, for some people, they come and only come on Sunday and then leave because, because in their past they've been hurt by people in the church. So they know that they should go to church and they go to church, but they don't want to get involved because I don't want to get hurt again. I'm telling you, you better develop a deep conviction for why you go to church and you better develop a cause, a reason, a purpose for going. That's beyond you just not getting hurt. It's not a reason to go to church. And, and, and without it, you'll never have courage to get back in the game, to get back on the path that Christ has called you to. You will never have courage if you don't have a conviction. One philosopher, his name was Tertullian, he said, life is not worth living until you've found something worth dying for he wasn't even a christian but he got it right but it's not just dying for anything it's dying for christ the cause should be christ let me give you the four aspects of conviction that paul demonstrates for us in our text today write these down we'll look at all four in the next 16 verses conviction number one conviction means you have a cause well we've kind of established that but we're going to take it further from the text Number one, conviction means you have a cause. Number two, conviction means you won't be swayed. You won't be swayed. Number three, conviction means you are willing to endure great sacrifice. You're willing to endure great sacrifice. And number four, conviction rubs off on others. Conviction rubs off on others. All four of these aspects of carrying a deep conviction, having a cause, will happen in our text through the, Paul's life. Let's begin with the conviction has a cause. Acts chapter 21, verse 1, and when we had parted, that's an interesting word, parted there, it literally, in the Greek, literally means after we were torn apart from them. So Paul has been with his brothers and sisters in Christ in Miletus, and now they have torn apart. They, it was hard to let go of one another, to know that we'll never see each other again. Listen, friends, that's what Christian fellowship looks like. Did you know that to be truly in a relationship with others in the church, it's going to be painful at times? Being in faithful fellowship with one another, having deep, meaningful relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ means that there are times where people who are close to you die. You're torn apart. We experienced that yesterday with George Limonati's celebration of life service. I see Phyllis and Susie, George's daughter, sitting in the back today with us. It's good to have them. What a special time that was yesterday to remember and honor George's life, but most importantly, through George's life, bring glory to God. But it's painful to lose those that we love. It's painful in relationships when you come into a situation where there's a rub 
with a brother or a sister in Christ. The easy thing to do is just go to church to sit there and then get out. I, I don't want to risk getting those rubs. I don't, want the, I don't want that stuff, man. So I'm just going to lay low, take it easy, and just show up every Sunday. I'm not going to engage because I know what that can lead to. Yes, you're right, and it will lead to times of pain. When you're in relationship with people, people are not perfect. They're just like you. And we hurt each other. And it's not godly. But God calls us to use that as a time of testing in our lives to grow us in Jesus. To grow us up. To learn how to stop running and walking away but staying in there for the sake of the relationship, for the sake of Christ. Paul was having a difficult time being torn away. I better get going here. I've only given you the first five words of 16 verses. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course. That means that evidently the winds were with them as they traveled by boat along the Asia Minor coast. In other words, he's saying our, our boat did not have to tack back and forth across in order to get where we were going. The winds were behind us. And, and so they were, made good time. He says, we set course for cause. And the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. Each of those cause would have been uh, 45 miles from Miletus, and from cause to, uh, uh, where did he go next? Rhodes, that was 75 miles. And from Rhodes to Patera was another 75 miles. So here's what they would do. The winds were strongest during the day. So they would travel by, by boat with the winds during the day. And then they would arrive at that next port, and they would spend the night at the port. The next day, they would get back on the ship, and they would take the next part of the journey. So that was three days worth of traveling. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, Phoenicia would be uh, the coast of Palestine, the Holy Land. So they're actually going all the way across from Asia Minor. They're crossing the Mediterranean Sea, going past Cyprus, and they're going all the way over to the coast of the Promised Land. They're going over uh, to what would be Syria, to Tyre, and it says, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. This was a larger ship. When they had traveled the three small uh, legs, uh, that would have been a small boat because they only had to stay close to the shoreline. All of those ports were right there close together. But when they crossed the Mediterranean, the open sea, they needed a larger ship. So they took a cargo ship across. So this is very, a very uh, uh, a strenuous journey. This is not an easy journey. This is a difficult journey. This is a journey that could go south real quick. Storms could blow up in the sea. Uh, they could be knocked off course. There was a time when Paul experienced shipwreck. And that's always a threat. But Paul has his mind set on one thing. I'm going to get to Jerusalem and deliver the goods, and I'm going to unite the Gentile and the Jewish church together. That was the cause for Christ that he was living for. 
and it didn't matter what the open sea had for him. Something else worth noting is that these three locations were places where when they had stopped in the evenings, people would gather who knew him, people who had heard about him, people who belonged to churches further inland in the interior, but they knew he was traveling along and would stop, and so people would gather with the Apostle Paul. But Paul was a driven man. You would say that it took great courage to make that treacherous journey, and you wouldn't be wrong in saying it. And I would, if I were to ask you to this morning to write down on a piece of paper, what is your greatest cause for Christ? What would you say? I, I got a feeling some of you would say, can you rephrase the question? Others would say, well, I go to church every Sunday. That's my, that's your greatest cause for Christ? The Apostle Paul is risking his life for the sake of the gospel. Are we willing as Christians to risk our lives, not in the physical sense, that doesn't happen in America, not yet at least, and I pray it never happened, but, but in the sense of the comfortabilities of our lives, risking that aspect of our life for the sake of the gospel. This is what it's about, church. This is what Paul was going to do. He was going to risk it all. He loved people too much not to travel to the next port. He loved the gospel too much not to share it with the lost. He loved the, the, the calling of God too much not to deliver the mail and ring the bell in Jerusalem. What do you love about Christ so much that it compels you to share Jesus this week with people that you meet? What is it about Christ and his calling in your life that just spurs you on to good works that God has given you to fulfill? I want you to know that this is not just a Paul thing. Because some of us would go, well, yeah, you're talking about Paul, okay? So we're not supposed to be. No, this is a, this is a Christian thing. We're all called to be ministers of God, every one of us. We're all ministers, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, raise your hand if you're saved. Raise your hand, okay? Guess what that means? That means you are a disciple of Jesus. You know what that means? That means if you're a disciple, you are a witness for Jesus Christ. Bottom line, that's what it means. It's not what you do, it's who you are. You are a witness. You are a disciple. You are. Are you? Are you doing it? Because that's the cause right there. This is the cause. We can get so caught up in our busy lives and we develop a routine that fits us well. We know what we do on Monday. We have something for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. In our workplace, in the business, we function a certain way. We found what works. We found what is good for the business and what's good for, for you and what's good for other people that you service in your business. We, we all that. But where does Christ fit into it? When was the last time in the course of your day you were interrupted by the Holy Spirit who arrested you and showed you an opportunity to connect with someone that you don't know or someone you do know and take further the message of the gospel. When was the last time? 
I'm not trying to uh, uh, condemn anybody here, and I'm not, I'm not even trying to convict you. I, I do believe you, at, like me, you will feel conviction. But believe me, it's not Greg, it's the Holy Spirit. I'm just giving you the Word of God. I'm literally hiding behind the Word of God today. It's not even courage that, that I'm doing this. I'm just quoting the Scripture. That's what I love about uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards, one of the, known as the greatest sermon ever preached. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. And when he gave that message, people started wailing in the service, crying, weeping, falling to the ground, repenting of sin while he's preaching. And he never raised his voice. He just continued to preach the whole time while it's happening. You know what he was doing? Let me give you the picture. This is the posture of John Ed, uh, Jonathan Edwards as he's preaching this sermon. He's preaching the message, and he's doing it like this. That's all they saw. He read his sermon because he couldn't see well, but he was hiding behind the Word. That's what I, I'm doing today. I'm, I'm letting the Word of God, I hope the Word of God grips you today. I hope the Holy Spirit today grabs hold of you, shakes you, wakes you up and says, you are a believer. God has given you a purpose in this world. Amen. What does the scripture say? You're saved by grace, not you're saved by grace, not by your own abilities, not by your works. And it goes on to say, for we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. That's what God's prepared for you. This is what Paul's about. This is what David in the Old Testament was about. Take your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17. Go there, if you will, please. Are you hanging with me, church? Yes. Amen. A third of you are hanging with me. Okay. No, I know it's better than that. If we're in the Word, we should all be attentive, right? 1 Samuel 17, in verse 8, let me just set it up for you real quick. David the boy David, not the man, the boy David was sent by his father to the battlefield where his three brothers were part of the Israelite army, and they were encamped on a, on a hillside with a great valley, and then the hillside on the opposite was the Philistine army. David was sent to bring supplies from his father to his three sons who were at the battlefield when David comes up, he sees everybody sitting on the, battle, on the uh, sideline, but he can hear from the valley a man who had walked across from the other uh, hillside and was standing out in front of the army of the Lord, and he was challenging and he was mocking someone to come down and fight him. He was a giant, yes. And the entire Israelite army is in fear of him. It says in verse, 17, uh, verse 8 in chapter 17, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. I defy you. 
And they're all sitting there like this. He says, I defy you. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all the Israel, Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Even Saul, who was a warrior king. David's response when he observed all of this happening. He's just a boy. He's just bringing supplies from home for his brothers. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of a living God. Look at that. David has a cause. It's not the army. It's God. This guy is mocking our God. He's mocking the army of the living God. Is there not a cause here? He's overcome with a cause of conviction. And it gave him what? Courage. Courage has to be born out of conviction. And so if you look down at verse 43, read with me. It says, and the Philistines said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? So David said, I'll take care of this guy. His brother's like, no, David, stop. Come on. Go back home to daddy. He's like, are you crazy? He's defying our God. David took his little five stones and went out there in the field with nothing. And the, arm, and, and, and the Philistines out there, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistines said to David, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, I love little David, with a cause. This is what cause will do for you. He said, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. David's not claiming that he's the guy. He's not saying I have power, I have strength, that I'm powerful. I can outmaneuver you on the battlefield. David's a little boy. He knows he can't. He knows this is a battle-tested soldier that's a giant. But he's not on the field for those reasons. He's on the field because he has a cause to stand up for God. He says, God's going to deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. <laughs> wow. Little boy calling out a giant. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth, here it is, here's the cause, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all his assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hand. Wow, what a reason to live. What a reason to stand. What a reason to fight. What a reason to get up every day and go out as a Christian and proclaim the name of Jesus. What did God say? I want my name to be great on the earth. And then he created Christians. He saved them through the blood of his own son, so that we would be the vessels that would take that message to the world. There's not a fishing trip off the coast of Florida that could be more exhilarating than serving Jesus every single day, sharing the gospel.
There's not a store to shop in that is more exciting than meeting people and sharing Christ with them. There's even something that's exhilarating in what you do each week for Jesus that you can't get when you come on Sunday. To only come on Sunday, you only get a portion of what it means to be a believer. But to live for Jesus every day with a cause, now you're living a real life. The same is true for Paul. He was, in, he was courageous because he had a cause of Christ worth dying for. Second point, conviction means you won't be swayed. Conviction means you won't be swayed. Look at verse 4. And having sought out the disciples, <laughs> we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So he's, everywhere he goes, he runs into disciples <laughs> And he finally lands in uh, Syria with Phoenicia, is what it was called. And really, he's right there, not far from, he's, he's you know, probably a three-day journey from Jerusalem. And he's on the coast. And even there, in Tyre, which is a Gentile city, there are believers who have established churches there. And they've heard of Paul. Many know him personally because they were part of a church that Paul started on one of his three journeys. And they've ended up over here in Tyre. And now Paul comes and he shows up and he's trying to get to Jerusalem. But he meets these wonderful believers. And this is just a beautiful thing. It, wherever you go, there are believers. God, God hasn't set up that way for us. It doesn't matter where you travel. You, you ever done that? You travel somewhere, some remote place, and then there's a believer right there on the scene. I mean, you can't get much more remote than going down to the Florida Everglades. I went there with my good friend, and we got down to do some fishing for two, for two days. And uh, we're at the dock right there out of Flamingo uh, at about 5.30, 6 a.m., waiting for them to open up the little uh, bait and tackle so we could get our shrimp and head out. We were going to camp out on the southwest point of Florida. I mean, it's beautiful out there, and there's nothing there. And uh, so we're at Flamingo. I mean, we're talking the Everglades at 6 a.m., and all of a sudden, a little couple come walking up with bicycles, and they're probably in their 70s, and they're both clothed in white clothing. They've got, like, white shirts and white pants, and it looked like they were getting ready for a cricket tournament or something. I don't know. And... Uh, they, they stood there, and I was at the boat, and my friend Mike was actually waiting for the store to open. And, uh, and there, there, it was a beautiful morning. There was, the water was, had, a, had a, a, a haze over it, you know, because it's so early in the morning. And the little man said, so what, what, what are you doing today? What, what's going on here? And I, he could see that the boat was just jammed. We had all of our camping gear. Everything was on the boat. And I said, well, we're going camping. He goes, oh, that's wonderful. He said, now, 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 where are you going? And I told him, and now, why are you doing this? And he was just all these questions. So I said, sir, okay, my friend and I, I'm a pastor, and he's one of our elders, and we meet every Thursday morning at the church, and we pray. And we've been doing that for a couple of years now, and uh, we realized we both love to fish. So we decided to take a journey and come down here and spend a couple of days out in the middle of nowhere and do some fishing. And, uh, and by the way, world-class fishing. 
Not that we're world-class, but the area we were fishing is world-class. We know that because uh, on the second day, we came back to Flamingo just to get some more supplies, and there was a, a professional guide that had his boat, you know, and he was there. And we walked over, started talking with him, got to know him a little bit, and, and we said, well, here's where we're heading. And we showed him exactly the spot we were, we were in. He goes, he looks at us, he goes, that's world, world-class fishing. He said, you don't tell anybody about that place. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so this little couple is so interested in hearing about us. And I explained, you know, yeah, we're just friends. We wanted to fish, but we pray together. We're, I'm a Christian. He's a Christian. And the little man, I said, so we're just here to catch some fish, have some fun. The little man puts his kickstand down, comes over, down on the dock, and he puts his hand out like this. And I put my hand on his hand, and he put his other hand on top. And he said, may the Lord grant you all that you've come to receive. Out in the middle of nowhere, and the Lord sends somebody to us. Could, be, could have been an angel for all I know. You can't go anywhere where the Lord's not with you. And where there aren't believers who will stand with you for whatever purpose God's called you to. Just stand. Stand. We did, God did bless us. We caught a hundred fish. Um, I've carried this in my wallet. Mike and Greg's 1995 Great Adventure. Laminated. The first day, I'm not making this up. We took track. The first day we caught 50 fish. You say 50 fish. Okay, what? What'd you catch? Okay. The second day, 50 more fish. Okay? Let me tell you what we caught. We caught 32 redfish, 57 snook, five drum, two trout, one two jack, one tarpon, and one, I don't even can't remember what that was. Doesn't really matter. God blessed us. He blessed us. And, and, and my friend Mike uh, grew up in Miami and used to go out every Friday night. He would take people from the church and they'd go out to the downtown Miami and, and they, would, they would witness to people. They would take little tracks and pass them out and share Jesus with people. And, and, and the people he would take oftentimes had never done anything like that before. They were scared to death. Because in the Christian church, we've lost our cause. But as they would go, he said each week they would come back and they would become courageous. Because they were once again, the blood of Christ was flowing through them and they had a cause that was bigger than themselves, bigger than their business, bigger than their little life. The cause was Jesus. Secondly, conviction means you won't be swayed. We, we're here in this text, but I want you to see it. Uh, th this was the continual message that Paul heard from city to city, that you're going to face trial when you get to Jerusalem. It's not going to be easy on you. You're going to be bound up. In fact, look at verse 22. Uh, of, of Acts 20. Go back one chapter. It says, And behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me, except I know this from the Holy Spirit. He's revealed this much to me, that I'm going to be imprisoned and afflicted in, in Jerusalem. 
Now, let me ask you, how many of you would continue on that journey if you knew that was going to be the experience? But to stand for Christ, Paul did not fall back. He didn't shrink back. He pinned his ears back. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't care what's going to sway me. It is not going to sway me. It's not going to happen. And he went. I believe the Holy Spirit is not telling Paul, don't go. He's just saying, Paul, this is what's going to happen when you get there. He's very much in the will of God. By the way, did you know it is the will of God that we suffer? Where's the amen? If I had said it's in the will of God that you prosper and be happy and that God just bless your life and give you tenfold what you've... You, amen, hallelujah. No, no. It's the will of God that we would suffer. Peter said, how can you claim to be a Christian if you're not persecuted for Jesus' sake? How do you claim that? How do you claim to be a believer if you're not facing persecution? Which means that every day people are knowing from you who Jesus is, and you're getting the kickback from that. And there is kickback. I would love to tell you that every time you share, it's going to be a marvelous experience. The angels of heaven are going to sing, and you're just going to see people turn and, and lift their hands to Jesus. I'd love to say that. That's not true. Very seldom when you share on a daily basis will people come to Jesus, but they will. And it's worth the one. It's worth it. Mm. It was to her, her discomfort. I just love this story. Soon after the beginning of the reign of Bloody Mary in England, an officer was sent to bring various preachers in, these priests, bring them in and, and bring them to trial. A particular officer went to take a great man of God by the name of Hugh Latimer and to bring him to London. Latimer had six hours' notice that they were on their way to get him. Now, she was Bloody Mary for a reason, because she would burn him at the stake. These who would not uh, 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 kowtow to her belief system, which was, which was uh, uh, false. And so Latimer had six hours' notice that they were on their way to get him. But instead of running, instead of hiding, he packed and prepared his bags for the journey. A journey which he knew could end in his execution. When the officer arrived to take him, Latimer said to him, Hello, my friend, come in. You are welcome here. I go as willing, willingly to London to give an account of my faith as ever I went to any place in the world. And I doubt not that as the Lord made me worthy formerly to preach to, to two excellent princesses, uh, princes, he will now enable me to bear witness to the truth before the third, either to her eternal comfort or her eternal discomfort. And off he went to London. And it was to her discomfort. Bloody Mary burned him at the stake. She didn't burn him alone. She burned him with two other preachers. And as the, one of them was Hugh Latimer, or Hugh Latimer, the other was uh, Nicholas Ridley, uh, as the flames were leaping up, they're, they're, they're tied to a stake in, in England. And as the flames were leaping up, Latimer said these words, quote, We shall light a candle in England today that will never go out. You think he had a cause? 
The costliest fire the Roman Catholic Church ever lit was that fire. It cost them England. The Reformation took off. And it it struck a death blow to Catholicism in England. Latimer was a man who had the courage to die in flames for his conviction and the confidence to believe that in the sacrifice of his life, God would bring to fulfillment the goal and the dream that he had in his heart. That's the courage of conviction that he stood on. That even in death, God will be glorified and his word will go forth. And if death is what it's going to take for someone, I'm willing to die. Not only is there conviction always as a cause, and conviction which means that you won't be swayed, but conviction also means you are willing to endure great sacrifice. In verse 7, when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. And on the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. This is a very unique encounter. This is the very first time that Paul meets Philip on his journey to Jerusalem. He stops at Philip's house. Philip, early in both Paul and Philip's life, Philip was a believer. Paul was a persecutor of believers. Philip was called to serve tables in the church. Paul was called to persecute Christians. By Satan. Paul was very good at what he did, and Philip was very good at what he did. Later, Philip became an evangelist. He traveled from Jerusalem up to uh, Samaria, where he shared the gospel with Samaritans. These are more dogs that the Jews didn't like because they were half breeds, and many got saved. And Philip is still there, he's living there now. And so it's interesting, while Philip went to Samaria, Paul left Jerusalem and went to Damascus. Why? To persecute more Christians, to arrest them and bring them back under charges of of the religious leaders, to put them in jail, to cause them to suffer. And now towards the end of Paul's Christian journey, God allows the two to meet. You can just imagine the discussion of these men. You know, I passed right through here, Philip, on my way to Damascus when I was going to persecute Christians, and you were right here sharing and winning people to Christ while I was ready to have them arrested and brought back to Jerusalem. It says in verse 9 that Philip had four daughters, and these were unmarried daughters. They were prophesying. They prophesied. They had a ministry of prophecy. I love that that's in the Bible. See, the Bible clearly teaches both Old and New Testament that headship, spiritual headship, is to be given to men, not women. That's the role of a man, is to be the head of his home and to be the head in the church. We don't allow women to teach men in the church, not in this setting, in this podium. We don't allow women to serve on the elder board at our church. We try to follow the Scripture. But at the same time, that does not mean that a woman does not have the same giftings, the same calling, the same Holy Spirit that's living in her as every single man that follows Jesus. They're not less. It's just the way God designed the role. They're not called to be head. And and so here God says, let me tell you what women do in the Bible. Uh, Let me remind you of Lydia. 
had great administration skills, and Lydia was able to win many to Christ. She was a tremendous businesswoman. The Bible doesn't say a woman can't run a business. It just says you're not going to be the head in the home in the, in the church if you're a believer. And, and here are the four daughters, are, they prophesy. They have a gift of prophecy. They would probably go out during the day, and they would speak, and God would speak through them. God used these women. There's always a place for all of us in the kingdom. In verse 10, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now, coming down, listen, let me explain this. Paul is actually up above Jerusalem and Judea. Jerusalem's in Judea. He's up here. He's in Phoenicia. So why does it say that Agabus came down? He didn't go down. He went up. Well, he's not referring to geography that way. It's referring to height. Jerusalem is on a hill. It's on a mountain. And so he came down the mountain and he went to see Paul. That's why it says that, that way. And, and, and he, he, he did something. He, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Again, Paul is reminded, you're going to suffer when you get to Jerusalem. And when we heard this, who's we? Well, Luke's the writer, so Luke is traveling with Paul. And then there are others who were coming, Gentiles, who were coming with Paul to deliver the, the, the money from the churches in, the, in, in Asia Minor. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. We're, 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 come on, Paul, maybe we should turn back. Maybe we shouldn't do this. I mean, everywhere we travel, every city we go to, they're telling us what's going to happen in Jerusalem. Maybe there's a different way. Let's, let's do something different here. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. Let's have the people from the churches in Jerusalem come out and meet us. Let's stay in a safe place. I mean, who knows what they were thinking? Then Paul answered, listen to this. What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Wow. Paul is confronted by Agabus with some very distressing news. Yet I want you to see this. In the case of most people, this would have point, called them or caused them to turn around and go back. But when you have a cause, you fight through it. It means you're willing to endure great sacrifice. Then we come to the last point, and that is the conviction that you carry will rub off on others. Verse 14, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. And these days we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. So the very ones who were trying to tell Paul, let's turn back. Maybe we should go a different route. Or maybe we should stop short of the city, let them come out to us. And now all of a sudden, because they saw once again Paul's resolve, I'm willing to die for what I believe. And it bolstered them. And they went with him. You can have an impact on people in your family. Men, listen, if you're a father of a 
of, of children and, and, and you have a wife. Listen, you have a responsibility to carry in your belly a cause for Christ that's greater than anything else. Your children are watching you. Your wife needs that from you. You say, well, my wife's an unbeliever. Well, then you do it for the cause of Christ. But I'm telling you, it'll have an impact on her too. The Holy Spirit will use that. Be faithful to God. Tomorrow afternoon, I'm heading down to Palm Beach Gardens. My, my precious friend, Greg King, one of the elders of the church that we pastored for 21 years in Palm Beach Gardens, he passed away, suffered with ALS, and finally passed away. Greg lived to share the gospel. Greg was a, he was a businessman and a very good one. He, for years, worked for Channel 25, the ABC affiliate in West Palm. He was, he, he was the manager that sold airtime, and he was a great salesman. And they said, we need you to help the, the team sell airtime, and he did. And he did that for a number of years, and then he branched out on his own and started a marketing firm, and it was very successful. I would meet with Greg every Thursday for lunch. We met and prayed together. And at the little Thai one restaurant that we would meet in in Palm Beach Gardens, I remember the times when I might come in after him. And when I'd walk in, there'd be a man sitting with dress slacks, a white shirt, or a nice shirt with a tie. Because in his world, that's how you dressed. And he would have a little New Testament, and he's reading it. I don't ever remember coming in and not reading his Bible. He loved the Word. When he lived in Fort Myers before moving over to Palm Beach Gardens, he was known as the Kinger, Greg King, Kinger, because he was a party animal in his early days. And then Jesus arrested him and saved him. And when he came to gardens, he had just gotten saved. And God just connected us. And man, did that guy grow in Christ. And every day, he was out sharing Jesus with people. Every day. He didn't care if you were a CEO of a company. You're going to hear about Jesus. He wasn't obnoxious. He would wait for the opportunity. He was a timing person. He wanted the right time when, when the Spirit said yes. But he was not afraid. He had a courage because he had a conviction. And he came from a very large family in Minneapolis, or in, uh, in Minnesota, a Catholic family, many brothers and sisters. I'd met some of them over the years when they'd come and visit. We'd go play golf together. Greg loved to play golf. He and I sat behind home plate at the World Series in Miami when the Marlins were playing against the Yankees. And we're down there, and we're right behind home plate, uh, up about 15 rows. And... I look around, all these TV personalities, all these great reporters and, you know, sports analysts, all of them are sitting all around us. And he knows them. He's high-fiving them. Hey, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, there's this ruckus behind us, and we turn around, and Mike Tyson coming in with his entourage. And here's Greg, man, living for Jesus the whole time. So last week, Renee and I went to see him. 
the last time. Uh, Mary said, Greg, uh, you might, guys might want to come on up. And Kathy, her daughter, texted us, I think it might be time. So we went. When we got there, there were some family members there, some of Greg's brothers. And uh, we had a chance to pray with him. But really, the reason I went was for one reason. I knew where he was going. I wasn't worried about that. But in his final hours of fighting against ALS, which is an insidious disease, I wanted my brother to hear fresh the word of God. So I just read scripture to him, one after another, about heaven, just pouring into him the word. And the whole time, he couldn't even open his eyes, he, but he was, the head was nodding a little bit. It was ministering to him. When we were done, I walked out of the other room, and his daughter, Mary, uh, Kathy, came out, and she said to me, she hugged me tears and said, Greg, thank you so much, because that ministered to my dad. She could see it. We all could see it. And it was the next night, I think, uh, that his, or two nights later, that his brothers were all there. The night I was there, uh, Pete was there. Um, there were a couple of them, but that next night, more of them were present. And we weren't there, but Mary, uh, Kathy told me we knew it was close. And uh, he had not had his eyes open, had not responded to anybody. And the family gathered, and then somehow he motioned for prayer. And Kathy started praying. And after she prayed, his Catholic brothers one of them said, uh, let's say the Lord's Prayer. He, he knew that, you know. And then the other brother, and they're, they're a funny family. These guys are quick-witted, and they're all fun to be around. The other brother, uh, Pete, said, hey, let's, uh, Greg, you want a few Hail Marys? And Kathy said, I about fell out of my chair laughing. Because Greg's witnessed to them over and over and over again. And then Greg opened his eyes. And he scanned the room, and he saw Tom, the brother that was closest to him in age, and he just lifted his hand like that. He closed his eyes. Five minutes later, he, they opened again. He scanned the room, and he found Paul, the oldest brother. Kathy said, Greg, it wasn't just to say I love you. On his deathbed, he was trying to witness to them. I want you to know Jesus. That's a cause. That's what it looks like. That ought to be your song. That ought to be my song. Attending church isn't enough. You're not saved by going to church. Your salvation came from Christ, right? If you're here today and you're not saved, listen. Jesus wants to make an exchange with you. It's an extraordinary exchange. He wants to take on your sin, and he wants to give you his righteousness. So that when God the Father looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus clothing you. He no longer sees you as a sinner. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He died for you. And once he dies for you, and once you receive him by faith, now you have a life to live for him.
Do it. Do it. We've got a funeral, I guess it's this Thursday, for Greg. And then Saturday, I've got a funeral up in New Smyrna for my aunt that passed away, who came to know the Lord later in her life and recommitted her life. And, and, and I'm just telling you, I love the opportunities. You know why? Because I get to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus. What is your opportunity this week? You say, I don't know. You're right, you don't, but the Holy Spirit does. And if you'll open yourself every morning and say, Lord, use me today. Show me somebody that I can love and care for. And if possible, even share a little bit more about who, who I am in Christ and share Jesus with them. Give me the, those opportunities. He will do it. It's not you creating something. It's you obeying and following Jesus in it. Amen? It's his work. You're just trying to be a faithful servant. Well, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love, and we thank you for Paul. What a, man, what a conviction. He had such a deep conviction for Jesus to share the grace of God anywhere he went. And hearing over and over what was awaiting him in Jerusalem, it never, it never tainted him, it never changed him, it never swayed him. God put that in us. The same Holy Spirit that was in Paul is in us. Use us this week, Lord. Let us be a church that's different. That we don't gather just so that we can have a good presentation of something. But we gather to celebrate what God did in our lives all week long. Use us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We do have elders and prayer partners that will be in the front. If any of you have prayer needs, come forward. They'll pray with you about anything. If today you receive Jesus, you just reached out to him by faith. That's wonderful. Go to the back and tell us that you did that. Write it down for us on the, on, at the welcome table. Somebody will be there to help you with that, okay? God bless you. God bless you, church.